With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are YWales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, YWales, wherever in the world you are today. Uh, it is November 11th. It's, it's election day here in the United States, so please go out and vote if you haven't, if you're listening to this live. Um, but but also on today, it's FTX has decided to sell to uh, to Binance. Um, no one saw this coming. No one even believes it's true. We're watching, you know, you know, kind of so much chaos in the markets right now. I think uh, Bitcoin dropped down to about 17,000 at one point. Um, and the reason to bring this up is, is quite simply because because cryptocurrencies and the the derivative trading that w- that we do is only a small part of this asset class. Um, you know, getting to the point where you can even trade coins, uh, tokens, or, or or any type of value on chain, um, all has to be predicated by some you know, amazing technology lifts to be able to to. to build, construct, store, and do all these other things. So cryptocurrency market may be in a, a state of, of flux right now, um, but I would say that overall, the technology that runs it has been fab- has been functioning flawlessly. Um, my guest today is, is Brad, who knows absolutely how all the back-end uh, bits and pieces work of, of this entire ecosystem. So Brad, real quick, let's, let's go ahead and start with your background of kind of where you came from and, and how you ended up uh, here today. Thank you for having me, Jay. Um, that's a really long story, but I'll, I'll try to compress it to oh, uh, bite-sized pieces. So I was born in Turkey, and um, my origin story starts with a Commodore 64 that my father um, gifted me for Christmas when I was six years old. I, I got the computer, uh, got super excited about it. Then after a month or two of playing the two games it uh, came with, I realized that I had conquered the whole thing and um, wanted to do more with it. And then uh, I... I you know, looked at the manual, tried to figure out what else can be done and realized this is actually a programmable device. It's not a Game Boy that you just play on. Um, That started my journey learning programming. I started with BASIC and moved on to different languages like C, Fortran, Pascal, COBOL, uh, machine language on Motorola 68,000 chips and so on and so forth. So, um, I started early on programming, fell in love with computers, uh, fell in love with the possibilities, um, started selling software that I created when I was nine. Uh, that got me uh, really excited about entrepreneurship um, and then exited that company when I was 15 to focus on my studies because it grew to a size that became a full-time job. And I was a young adult who wasn't necessarily ready for a full-time job plus school plus family and uh, everything else so that's that's where it all started um from there on i took uh, uh, an interest in software hardware um developed myself which became uh one 
parallel side of my career, the other being um, my family has been in banking and finance for three generations. So uh, I thought I could always follow up in that track too. And and st started studying economics in, in high school, then continued to an economics uh, bachelor's degree, then to finance and international business management, and really tried to better understand how to make money and, and how to build a business. Because knowing the technology, knowing the science, by itself really doesn't um, give you the best opportunity to be successful in, in a cutthroat business world. You need to know how to market, how to sell, how to grow things, how to make the right hiring decisions. And, and um, that, unfortunately, you don't learn in a STEM program. You know, that's all foreign. So that's been my parallel journey. Um, I'm on my 15th business. It's called Equify. It's a decentralized finance platform backed by a licensed regulated bank. The platform is also licensed and regulated. And, and prior to that, had two exits. Um, half of my businesses didn't uh, hit the targets that we set for them. Um, so we exited those, folded them. And the other half uh, are still uh, going. So I think I have a pretty um, interesting track record to to base decisions and future um, endeavors on. Yeah, so let's take a second and unpack a few things here, Brad, because this is one of the, the the greatest intros that I've heard for someone that's entering the Web3 space and not entering, you've, you've been here for quite a while. Um, by the way, that was also my first computer was the Commodore 64, followed up very shortly after by the Apple 2GS, which I'm sure you had as well. Um, and I still can remember the sound of inserting the, the big old floppy disks, the five and a quarters, um, and the sound that that machine made when it was like, I mean, you're just like, is it, did it eat it? Like, where's it do, what's it doing to that disc. Um, and I think kids say just have no concept of, you know, what a what a, a megabyte meant uh, back in the day. But but slowly but surely, Web3 is making us feel those megabyte pains, uh, you know, those, those little intricate uh, pains a little bit more. Um, but one of the things you said is that there's no re replacement for the 10,000 hours. Um, and I, I, I very much agree in that. So the 10,000 hours that you have from being a third generation, um, you know, banking family, from from having the ability to truly understand what it mean, what it means to build a business and have successes and failures uh, along the way. And what we've seen a lot of today is a lot of really first time entrepreneurs, you know, that are they're developers by trade or whatever the case is. I mean, they're hitting moonshots and, and you know, congratulations to each and every one of them that have done that. The challenge is it's it's what happens the next day. What happens after you you get funded? What happens after you have that first wave of hiring? Is this is a business you're going to have to run for a long time? Um, and and most people don't have the patience to understand. It's not moonshot after moonshot after moonshot. It's moonshot and then scaling slowly, uh, like any other normal business. Like congratulations, you made it to the dance. Now we have to go. What was kind of your your first? Um, you know, when did you first step into Web three or blockchain technology? What was the first thing that kind of caught your attention? Well, I stepped into Web3 and blockchain really early, not because I'm some pioneer or I know anything more than anyone else. It's because a friend of mine uh, sent me three files at the end of 2009 and said, Brad, compile these. You're going to love what you see. I thought he's probably trying to prank me and take control of my system, so created an isolated virtual machine compiled them, ran them, and it turns out it was a Bitcoin node, a Bitcoin wallet, and a miner. 
And um, so got involved with Bitcoin end of 2009. In the first two years, there was literally nothing to do other than mine Bitcoin, 50 Bitcoin a day and send it around to prove that, you know, it's not double spent and uh, that that the digital information transferred fine. And there was really not any intrinsic value to to a Bitcoin in those days. The value of Bitcoin started establishing when someone put um, Craigslist ads saying, I'll buy your Bitcoin for I think it was like you know, couple cents. It wasn't even uh, a big amount. But then suddenly, uh, I think that was in 2011, if memory serves me right, uh, where people with a lot of Bitcoin suddenly realized, oh, wait a second, I can actually get, you know, a couple hundred dollars with this stuff that's just floating around. And then that turned on a a light on a lot of people's uh, brains, like, oh, we can use this as a value transfer mechanism. So that was my entry into uh, blockchain. But prior to that, I was always curious about cryptography. I was uh, a big fan of uh, digital payments, digitization of of, uh, fiat currency and dollar. And, uh, you know, my dad worked on a lot of of uh, Western rails being established in the former USSR countries. So I got a lot of exposure growing up to how SWIFT works and um, how credit cards and everything, how the digital money works. That's not actually printed, but which constitutes the majority of the value that uh, we've created as humans. So always had an interest in it. With Bitcoin, my thinking changed from we need, uh, you know, central banks and central authorities to uh, create and and regulate that to maybe software can do it for us. Maybe smart contracts can do it. And then that evolution continued with the proliferation of different blockchains and different cryptocurrencies and getting involved with them. And uh, here we are today. Yeah, and, and and you're building your own your own kingdom right now with with so much and and you know I was early 2010 uh, with Bitcoin and you know I just threw them away because I was like. It's great. It was a fabulous test. Super cool. It, you know, I did it. Congratulations. Here's a hundred of them. And and then when I upgraded the computer, I just I just moved on from it. Um, and so I really, you know, again, I, I never take OG status, but I love giving it, you know, hearing and talking to OGs like you that that immediately saw the value, immediately saw exactly what this was, you know, had the potential to be. Um, clearly, if you'd known it was eventually at some point going to hit sixty thousand, you would have <laughs> you would have you know played played the cards a little differently. But the reality was is that you stuck with the asset class. You understood. You understood its use cases, and that's a, that's you know why why capitalism just always works is because you don't know what what the winner is going to be, um, but you have to kind of put that message out there and see who it attracts, and it attracted it attracted you. Um, so that being said, you know now that we're what uh, thirteen years uh, later that since you've seen that, uh, describe what you've built with uh, with Equify because I think it's fascinating um, how you know you took those original skills and concepts and and really have made a very viable product that anyone can use. Well, thank you for that, Jay. I mean, um, we wanted to address uh, two pain points. One was uh, the traditional bank's uh, almost aggressive uh, stance towards cryptocurrencies and users of of any cryptocurrency, any blockchain project. I mean, bank accounts being closed, wires 
turned around, not accepted, things of that nature. That treatment is usually reserved for hardened criminals and human traffickers and like really nefarious characters. The whole blockchain community as a whole being treated that way by traditional banks um, kind of looked like an opportunity to us. So I met my um, co-founder and, and partner, Jason Blick, uh, maybe four or five years ago. He was building um, a key bank at that time as a digital bank that's going to serve clients globally. And we started talking about, you know, doing stuff together, um, grew a friendship to a level that we um, implicitly trusted each other. And in 2019, he said, um, Brad, there's a huge opportunity here with DeFi. It's truly going to revolutionize finance and banking as we know it. How do we usher that era in? How do we help transition from what we have right now with the traditional rails and traditional attitudes of banks towards uh, crypto to a future where crypto is accepted and more so welcomed into these systems and, and is recognized as an asset that you can borrow and lend against and um and, and really becomes a, a part of the system. Uh, and, and so we started looking and we the, the biggest problem we saw was uh, banking facilities not being available to um, crypto projects and entrepreneurs and investors. And on the, on the crypto side, uh, we saw a lot of liquidity, a lot of value being created that cannot translate to... Um, to, to real life for those people. I mean, you would be surprised how many people I know with seven-figure crypto holdings that can't even go and buy a new car. They just can't because as soon as they try to access that, that value they created, um, they see so many roadblocks that, uh, that block them. I mean, imagine a traditional business person with five, six million in a bank account. They've done well. They can go and buy a new car, cash, I mean, that's never been an issue, but in crypto, they can't. So that was one problem. The other problem on the flip side was non-crypto people, people who read about blockchain, read about Bitcoin, maybe Ethereum a little bit, see these incredible returns and wealth creation, and they don't know how to participate. They don't know how to create a wallet. They don't know what a layer one blockchain is. They just don't know. What they know is their bank is not paying them any kind of return on their savings and the value of their fiat currency is dropping. So they have less value that they accumulated at the end of the year. So we wanted to solve for both of those problems at the same time by bringing digital banking together with DeFi and do it in a licensed, regulated environment that is safe for new entrants to come in and get exposure without learning to program or learning how to create a full node or manipulate the blockchain in a certain way. And, and those who are in it to be able to exit and enjoy the value they created. That was the genesis of Equify bridging the divide between DeFi and banking. And, and I think one of the things that you you just said, and, and for people that kind of caught on to the point, is the, the technology needs to be relatively invisible. Um, you know, for for years, it's been focused on you know only the 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 nerds, the the geeks, the DGens of us, you know, could even figure out how to do these things. And exchanges, you know, let's be clear, most traditional exchanges as we're watching today, and I just saw a, a notice pop up on my screen that potentially Kraken has now uh, paused withdrawals. So, so there's a lot of issues um, that that you know the industry has, but the concepts that that you're saying is 
everyone should be able to use this. This is this is the next generation of banking. Whether you're you are with a, a traditional crypto bank um, like Equibank, or if you are with you know Bank of America, and you just you know, hey, it doesn't need to be this complicated challenge that Swift has made it. And Swift is is really um, at the end of the day, it's it's 1970s technology at its at its finest. Um, you know, it was designed a long time ago before the global internet existed. It it has stood up. It's been reinforced. But at the end of the day, there's more 56 k modems you know propping up your your uh, swift system than i think anyone realizes and so this is really the next evolution of of a global uh banking system and you know brad you're just trying to figure out how to make this work yep yep so what's your so when when you're um give us kind of the run through of kind of how equibank which is one of your projects and, and equify how they work together um to kind of create this this little ecosystem that you've built well, Equibank has a full global banking license, so allows us to do everything that your traditional banks can do, open bank accounts, issue cards, do traditional loans, and everything you would expect from, from your bank. That's, uh, that's the core engine to connect DeFi into the traditional world. On the DeFi side, we have your... Um, fixed rate loans. We have a yield product that's like a retirement savings account kind of where you put your funds and they grow with time. And if you want to withdraw them, um, you can have access to them. So if you have any emergencies, something like that, it's not a time deposit. It's not locked, uh, nothing like that. And the returns are, of course, incomparable to what the traditional banks are paying right now. By bringing the two together and allowing um, seamless OTC between crypto assets and um, fiat currencies, we want to make the experience as seamless and simple as your uh, traditional bank app. You know, you, you go in and you can have your account balances, you can transfer money, or you can buy some crypto and send the crypto out. So they both uh, support each other in a way that allows for the future and the past to come together and come together under a banking license. So it's as... Uh, as as safe and and uh, you know um, comfortable as it gets, but the bank provides the banking license. Um, Equify provides the money manager license. We're fully licensed, regulated there too, so that we can make the um, investments in crypto that our yield product, uh, which is quite no novel actually because we don't speculate we just earn fees on uh, liquidity pools but uh, you know it just brings the two together and and allows people to get exposure without trying to figure out which liquidity pool you, you know returns the best yields what is the risk on it how much activity how do I monitor the transactions to see if there's uh, uh, any issues arising we do all that uh, automatically for for our uh, users so that they just benefit from the returns and not worry about the management aspect of things. Yeah, no, it, it, it's fabulous. So let's let's talk about kind of the world as you you start to see it, because I think one of the the points while I've got you on here, the the most important thing we can talk about is where is all this going. You, you're building the infrastructure, you're building this this ecosystem, um, and and today, like there's, and actually today there's less users than there was yesterday. Um, but but the concept is is that we see the world moving to a blockchain future, and and blockchain is not crypto. I want to always you know differentiate, especially on days like today. Um, blockchain technology is sound. It's solid. It is, you know, proof of work has stood up now for what 
13, 14 years, um, you know, unhacked, un, un, unmolested in any way, shape or form. And believe me, people have tried uh, and, and countries have tried. So, so we feel good about the technology. Where, where, what is kind of the, the commonality that you're starting to see, Brad, because we've got things like metaverses and NFTs and, and this whole digital asset class that's emerging. And, and if, if you don't mind kind of walking us through where you see um, some really interesting use cases where this technology is seamless and invisible, but a big differentiator between what we have today. So what I'm most excited about is, is the way decentralization and blockchain uh, can create trustless environments where two strangers can come together, agree on something, then codify that on, on an immutable uh, platform like Ethereum or many others that have come uh, afterwards. And in a completely unsupervised, no third-party intervention manner, that relationship continues exactly as designed. Now, if you have design flaws at the beginning, of course, there are flaws in the relationship. But what really excites me is uh, being able to transfer funds. Let's take simple transfer of money. Right now, if I wanted to wire you a uh, million dollars, because I love Jay and I want to give him a million dollars, I go to my bank. I have a million dollars. I give your banking information. Then because the amount is higher than uh, all of the three trigger points uh, that banks look for, it first goes to the reporting department. They report it to U.S. government. Then it goes to the local um, compliance department. They uh, check everything about you and, you know, whether they, they decide whether my money can go to you and if you're worthy of it. And then finally, because of the amount, it goes to the CEO's office of that bank and gets a final review and, and blessing. Now, these people have, in my opinion, very little uh, visibility into who we are. And a bank's role is to safeguard our funds, not decide if we can use them a certain way or not. So that, that in and itself, that system is very expensive because now we involve seven human beings that command really high salaries. And humans make mistakes when they make decisions. If any of those people makes a mistake and decides the wrong thing, you don't get the money. Period. And it's my money. I'm trying to give it to you. Doesn't work. With blockchain, I can literally enter your wallet address, click on it, and you have it anywhere between 10 minutes to half an hour, depending on how congested and what blockchain we choose. That kind of um, speed and, and flexibility is what we need today in our financial systems. Should there be checks and balances? Should we comply by KYC, AML, OFAC? Of course. I mean, I'm not saying it should be free for all, anyone sending any nefarious entity whatever amount they want, but that's such a small percentage of transactions that are being held back and slowed down and the cost of it increasing that with decentralization, we can truly innovate uh, both our compliance systems, 
Because guess what? You can do compliance on blockchain. It's not like ex mutually exclusive. You yep. can build it into your smart contract and end the speed of transaction, which the world needs right now. We are, we are a global economy. That's just banking and finance side. On the identity side, there's so many people uh, struggling to, to have a valid government-issued ID right now because they expire. It's hard to renew them. I mean, we're going through, I'm in California, we're going to re Real ID change now. Next year, real ID is going to be mandatory. And to be honest, it's a hassle to get a real ID. I have to go to the DMV, bring a bunch of paper documents. With blockchain, you can have immutable, self-sovereign identity from birth. You're born, you get your NFT that represents you, and no one can take that away, no one can duplicate it, no one can fake it, because we've seen NFTs work in the past five, six years, whether you look at the CryptoPunks or anything that came after that. It is a non-fungible piece of um, document, digital document, that says, hey, owner of this could be this person. Yep. So the, the the opportunities are limitless. I mean, you go to procurement, uh, shipping, and and following. You know, shipping. If you've done any international commerce, you see how many pieces of paper, stacks of paper, you accumulate from the time something is manufactured to it reaches its final distribution des destination. All that can be on blockchain, then now you don't have to trust anyone at the port. You don't have to trust any of the brokers. You don't have to worry about anyone falsifying documents or anything like that. Of course, will this completely stop theft in international waters? No. I mean, you know, people can board transportation ships and do whatever. That's that's human nature. But at least the process can be followed and be immutable. So if you look at blockchain as a whole, just by disintermediation, it can save any industry a significant percentage of overhead. Now, we do have to create meaningful jobs for those paper pushers and stampers and whatever industry, from banking to transportation to advertising to whatever. We don't want the middleman to feel disenfranchise and and you know just disappear that's that's not the goal the goal yeah. is to create systems where they can play more productive roles instead of just uh you know stamping and saying yes this is i vouch for this because a smart contract can do it much faster and and reliable than a human being but get that workforce to innovate to do exciting stuff, maybe get them into AI, get them into machine learning, get them into things that are going to improve our future, as opposed to trying to maintain archaic systems like, just like you said, Swift was in seventies. They still have a human being at the end of every day that approves all the transactions at each Swift point. That one, like one or multiple people, have to go by hand, one by one, and say, "Okay, approved, approved." I mean, that's not a sustainable that's system. Why they, that's why they charge so much. So, Brad, there was a number of things I want to, I want to, let's rewind just a hair and, and talk about a couple of things. So, um, you know, the, the banking system is, is, you know, 
global to an extent, and I think you understand this as well, is there's you know over a billion people today unbanked. They they have no access to a bank. They cannot open a bank account for whatever reason. And again, I'm going to I'm going yes. yeah, yes. to clarify KYC, AML, OFAC. Let's keep all those things going. Those are good things. Um, and in fact, I believe blockchain adhering to those um, will showcase where we have advantages over paper printed fiat um, because you can you know you can move a million dollars. It may cost a little heavy. It may weigh a little bit more, um, but you can move it in paper money and it's untraceable, untrackable, and and you know much you know whereas in blockchain, I think we just saw it this week. Uh, they recovered three point six billion dollars in Bitcoin from from a from a hack like seven years ago. Um, well, I mean, just to interject, the fact that people were saying Bitcoin is enabling criminals just stems from ignorance. Yep. It's worse if you're a criminal, you're much better off with paper fiat currency than anything on the blockchain where it's recorded permanently. Like they can come back 25 years from now with new forensics and catch you because the information is there. You did it. I mean, it's pseudo anonymous, so they don't know who you is, but the transaction happened. It's there and it's immutable. So, again, it's not true that blockchain or crypto is enabling crime. Actually, fiat currency is the best uh, venue for that. No, and 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 you know, listen. I I talk to people that are in the security uh, divisions and and really kind of watch this stuff. There's wallets, you know, with billions and billions and billions of dollars of stolen funds, OFAC, um, you know, OFAC uh, violations and everything else. They this stuff is stuck. No one can move it. No one can go anywhere with it. It is like no one. It, the second you touch it or try to go to a, an off ramp, like it's over. It's done. You're going to get arrested. So I, I completely agree with you. The other concept is, and and this is just really one of those things for people saying, well, banking's safe and everything else. The, the challenge you run into is when you do want to do something that the bank says no. Um, a good example that I had not too long ago is is I needed to set up a new payroll account. Um, you know, open open the account at a, at a very traditional bank that was local, so I could you know mess with it and from that perspective, and um, deposited a million dollars. And then um, after everything was signed and set up, they came back and they said we need additional disclosures because we're only going to let you ACH out five thousand dollars a day. <laughs> Now, I'm just going to let you know that my payroll is more than that. Um, and, and our staff very much deserves to get paid. And I quite simply said, I'm so sorry. I, I, there's, you know, I've got 30 years of banking history. I've got everything you've signed and need to know. Why would you restrict me to this arbitrary amount? And they, there was no answer. They just said, that's, that's what we're doing. Um, now, they wouldn't let me ACH out, but I walked right back up to that bank and I grabbed a cashier's check, which is to me the most terrifying thing on the planet, which is a piece of paper uh, that's valued that. And, and I, I went to another bank and we, we moved it. So it's the entire concepts of which DeFi and, and blockchain technology are built on is, is almost identical to what we have in the traditional banking system. But it allows me the ownership and it allows you know the, the general user to basically say, this is my money, how I want to manage it. But you need a professional. <laughs> you really do. I don't, I don't believe that I, even myself should be managing you know, six, seven figures uh, in, in cryptocurrencies. I believe you need something like Equibank and, and professional teams because scams and, and hacks are, are so rampant, not on blockchain technology, but on the Web2 uh, technology sides of things. Is that what you're seeing as well, Brad? Well, it helps. It helps. I, I I agree with you that, unfortunately, if you're the um, owner, your keys, your money, uh, and you make a mistake, then there's no recovery. A lot of people are 
um, for better or worse, used to someone holding their hands. You know, there, there's something run on the banks. They're like, oh, FDIC insurance, although it covers up to a certain amount, that covers 90% of uh, bank accounts in the country. So they're comfortable with it and, and things like that. Now, if you want more freedom and more responsibility, of course, it comes with um, the risks that if one night, you know, you get too excited about a 4,000% API deal, and drop in all your crypto in it and next morning it disappears, well, you know, you did that to yourself. And there shouldn't be any, uh, you know, remorse or regret or anything because at some point, anyone should know 4,000% APY is not realistic. And if someone could realistically give that, they would give it to themselves, not to someone else. So I think the greed aspect really um, sabotages people's experience with crypto. And you're absolutely right. If you have someone who uh, is a trusted party who can guide you through the process and safeguard your funds, um, it's it's very helpful because with Equify or Equibank, we're not gonna you know put the money into scam projects or opportunities. We monitor everything because of our reporting and regulatory requirements. We track transactions. We look at what's going on in the space, and these are not. I mean, these are full time jobs, so these are not like things that regular people can do every day. And, and so it helps. And that's why we created the platform so that even um, experienced people in crypto, instead of trying to watch uh, their backs all the time, can relax and say, you know what, maybe if I manage my own funds, I would do better. But I trust the team at Equify to do the best. So at least I don't have to worry about it. And that peace of mind, uh, we hope, is going to bring a lot more people into the space because of the ease of use of our user experience as well as the trust that uh, we have as a bank. Yeah, and, and, and to clarify for a few people, you can onboard into Equibank, Equify, and you never have to touch Bitcoin, Ethereum, or any other derivative, you can stay in stables um, and and have the exact same experience, move money all around the world, do traditional banking experience. And this does not have to. Bitcoin is not a one to one parity with what with what you have, correct? Yeah, and you can you can just have fiat accounts with us. You don't even have to touch any alternative assets or anything digital if you just want to have a solid bank that is also friendly to these new technologies that you may want to explore maybe a year from now, two years from now. I mean, this year is really not a promising year for newcomers. This is the time to get in. (laughs) It started with Terra Luna and then, you know, Three Arrows, Voyager. Now we're talking about FTX and it's just... It's tough for people who are just hearing about crypto for the first time. It's tough because, you know, they're just seeing what they see on the news and they're not looking on chain data. They're not looking at anything. So, yeah, if you if you're uh, convinced, it's a great time to get in. But if you're not convinced, I think uh, probably after the dust settles, it's going to be much better time. Maybe the timing is not going to be as perfect as now, but, you know, a little positive news and movement would uh, help a lot with newcomers. And I I can understand that, you know, it's a new asset class for them. 
Yeah. So, so real quick, uh, let, let's let's take a second and kind of talk through, um, you know, where you see the current uh, asset class today. So, it, as you listed off, you know, everything kind of started with uh, Terra Luna doing the meltdown, and and uh, if you missed it, Doquan was just on a uh, a live stream with Martin Schirkel, uh, and Martin told him jail is not that bad. Don't worry about it. It was probably one of the funniest uh, moments in, in crypto live streaming I've ever seen. Um, we, we then had you know Celsius. Uh, we had Three Arrows Capital. We've had a number. And, and now FTX. And so essentially, you know, what's the common feature and that, that you, as again, as a very experienced entrepreneur that understands the technology, what's the commonality you're seeing between the, the failures of these or are they all just independent um, lightning strikes that, that just so happen to be in the same asset class? Um, I think leverage is the commonality. So um, it's, it's great to have leverage, have access to leverage, uh, as a business owner and as an investor, um, because if you use it the right way at the right time, it can allow you to grow really aggressively and and quickly. And um, you know, I I'm not opposed to using leverage at all. Now you couple leverage with uh, debenture, and you uh, you know have a lot of debt, and then you use leverage. Now it's um, relatively risky environment you're creating for your business. The challenge starts when you add crypto volatility to those two elements. You know, leverage and and uh, growing through the venture in traditional businesses, is it risky? Yes. Can you, you know, predict certain things like orders coming in and, and payments and things like that? Yeah, you can model that and manage it. Unfortunately, crypto is so volatile that um, that when you couple those three things, you have a year like this where you know some leveraged business explodes in, in or implodes, however you look at it, and then uh, you know the market starts moving in the other direction, and then market manipulators rush in to make a lot of money overnight, and here we are with crypto. So I think the commonality is. Um, I'd say pick your poison. Don't drink all three poisons at once and and uh, hope to survive. Just pick one. If you're gonna, you know, grow through loans, just focus on that. Take out some loans, service them, and and um, you know, grow with that. If you're gonna lose the use leverage, use leverage, but don't take out loans on top of it. Use the leverage. You still have exposure, but. You know, hope that the market movements don't um, create issues, and and use that. And if you're in crypto, you don't have to grow that fast. You you know, like all of these companies that we discussed today, uh, mentioned today, not discussed um, from FTX to Celsius, there are multi-billion businesses even before leverage, before loans. So they could have grown at a very steady. Uh, pace. Uh, I mean, I don't even know how many uh, funding rounds FTX had in the last 12 months. I, I lost track. I mean, they did a $900 million one maybe 12 months ago. Then they did another half a billion. I mean, it's just constantly. And at some point, it becomes very difficult to hedge uh, against market movements if you're that level of loans and leverage and and then crypto volatility kicks in. So, you know, for me, if you look at the businesses that are not that badly affected, 
they just didn't do one of the things. They're either not in crypto, so they use the other two. Either they use leverage or they use heavy debt and, and grew, but they're not doing all of it at the same time, at once, in an uncontrollable, unhedged uh, manner. You know, so so that's that's the problem. And and I think there's plenty of businesses, projects growing right now with a very steady uh, pace. And they're not affected because they're not overusing these tools. No, again, fantastic explanation of everything. <clears throat> so to pivot the conversation a little bit, um, you've made over 100 venture capital investments into uh, Web3 companies, uh, correct? What? Where, a where little more than that, but yes, that's okay, correct. Okay, over 100. I, I said over 100. Um, how... How are you feeling about most of those today? Um, you know, the, every quarter, the asset, this asset class shifts a little bit, and every year, it's almost entirely different. Um, how are you feeling about some of the, you know, some of those investments today? Um, you know, and, and as well as their their ability to really continue to to innovate in the future. Are you seeing that the um, they're keeping pace, uh, or do you do you see that a lot of these projects kind of fall behind once they pick their they plant their flag? Um, I, I think I want to answer it in two parts. So Please. I make dif different kinds of investments. I've been investing for over two decades, and, and I uh, started as an angel investor, so I still continue to make angel investments. Then uh, we started uh, a couple of funds, and, and uh, that was, those had specific thesis to them. And uh, we have a family office uh, that uh, also invests. So... On the angel investing side, I always remind myself what an angel means. Angel meant in the early times when this, this term was coined, before anyone invested any money into private companies, as someone who supported a cause just for it to become a reality not with any expectation of anything. So if you were an angel or patron of, of a painter, you wanted to see those uh, that art created. If you're an angel patron of a play, you just wanted to see the play. You weren't expecting, oh, if I put in 100K here, what do I get in return? No, you just want to see the play. If you take angel investing with the same mindset, uh, most of those uh, fail, but most businesses fail. People yeah. try things and the timing doesn't work. The team is not the right team. The product market fit doesn't exist. So I think it's the same thing in Web3. Uh, majority of the experiments of the businesses are not going to be commercial successes. They may be successes in their own way, innovating, uh, changing mindsets, doing something. So when I make angel investments, I keep the amounts to uh, that level. And my expectation is I'm supporting that team, I'm supporting that project just to see what the potential is, not uh, expecting any commercial return. On the flip side, for larger check sizes later on uh, stage companies, there's expectation that they're going to return because they have been uh, they have proven themselves and have been producing and found that product market fit. And I differentiate between the two because, um, you know, of the investments I make, majority are in the angel uh, side of things. And, and I know that they may not yield anything, but I believe in the idea and the team and the project enough that I want to see that trial happen. I want to see them try and of, of course succeed. But if they don't, 
then it's okay. On the later stage investments, of course, the calculation is, you know, what kind of uh, return we can expect. And I've seen a lot of uh, success uh, in in that category just because it's a more mature deal. But then the multiples are not the same. You know, you can have a fairly certain hit with a later stage company that's going to yield X amount of percentage to you, but then you're not going to have the 100X. If you believe in something like I, I got into the initial sale of Ethereum uh, because I really believed in uh, the potential of it, phenomenal return, phenomenal. I mean, yeah, the numbers are out there. You know, it was 35 or 37 cents to buy one ETH and ETH hit. 4,800. So, yep. I mean, it's, it's insane. And I've had some pretty decent uh, returns on the traditional tech side of things too. So it's not just uh, Web3 or crypto, but crypto has been unique that it's so accelerated. Like with traditional businesses, you invest in them and by the time they mature and they hit it big, usually it's five to 10 years you're looking at. With crypto, it's six to 12 months. And in a very short span of time, you know the direction it's going. Now, it may not hit the top potential. I mean, Ethereum took, what, five years to get to all-time highs. But still, you saw the trajectory, even the ups and downs in you know, cyclical markets. You saw the potential there when something that cents goes to $100. You're like, okay, then this can you know repeat it, even if it drops to dollars again. So... I think uh, I, I think I see I don't see much difference between Web three companies and traditional tech companies, except for the velocity. The yeah. the velocity at which you see results is, I mean, ten x. It's so fast, and it's a liquid investment. If you don't go uh, equity side, but just on the token side, you know, with uh, private equity, You're you stuck. can have a lot of uh, paper in front of you but the, an exit is is predicated on a public offering or a buyout or something that's out of your control with the web3 space an exit is whenever you want to exit because they're going to list they're going to be on exchanges and if you feel your investment has has uh, matured enough or hit the expected ROI level you can get out and that freedom has been um very exciting for me. I mean, I still have investments from a decade ago, equity investments that I'm watching and, and looking and wondering what's going to happen. Whereas in, in crypto, I was able to take profits at all stages of, of the growth and double down because, again, it's a liquid asset. That's awesome and amazing. So, so real quick, um, my my question is: You have a very in depth knowledge of, of blockchain, uh, you know, cryptocurrencies, DeFi, and whatnot. But you also have a very in depth knowledge of of traditional banking. And and right now there is, um, you know, there's United States banking rules, there's UK, and so each each country kind of has their own. But there is a global system that exists. There is a global, you know, monetary system that exists. How do you see this? You know, do we need um, those same regulators to reach out and adopt the technology, or do you believe this can happen independent of the global authorities? Um, that's a, a big question. That's a <laughs> that's a tricky question. So, 
regulation and regulatory bodies help normalize, standardize things and give uh, everyone a framework within which we understand what can be done and what shouldn't be done. I think that's incredibly valuable. Do I believe that framework can be programmed in smart contracts and be done without any regulatory third-party body interfering? Yes, I do. Does it exist today? No, it doesn't. I mean, how many things do the global bodies agree on unanimously in the world right now? Zero. They don't agree on anything. If you take all the countries, all the systems, all the governments, and say agree on one thing, it's not possible. So it is going to take a long time for all of the global economies to come together and codify what is expected in smart contracts in a way that can govern uh, trade and monetary systems and banking systems uh, in a a just uh, smart contractual way. That's going to take a long time. Can we get there? I firmly believe we do. We can't get there. It's just going to be the will of the governments and the people to get there. Because if people want to hold on to power and say, I need to decide these things, I can't have a smart contract uh, automate these decisions, then it's not going to happen. But if people say a smart contract govern a system is going to be much more fair, efficient, and and uh, equal globally, and we should build that. We have the technology to do it. Just like you said, we've seen proof of work systems, um, you know, get tested for a decade plus, and they're still standing and and working fine. So, why not create a global uh, blockchain to govern financial uh, matters? We can do that, and each government can be a node, and you know, uh, and then we can have uh, improvement resolutions just like Bitcoin, just like Ethereum, where the participants propose, it's voted on. And then if uh, if we want to implement it, the code changed. So I think the technology is there. Now, the legal framework and, and the willpower to do it, that's that's a different question. No, I think that's, that's a, fabulous, uh, a fabulous answer for a very complex question. So congratulations on answering that. Brad, real quick, th- that was one of the most amazing kind of interviews we had with one of the, you know, again, long time standing, uh, you know, investors, entrepreneurs, and, and really developers of the space. I mean, to have one of the first Bitcoin nodes uh, up and running in 2009 and to still be here and in the asset class uh, uh, kind of evolving today. Um, I mean, you, you get your gold star for OG and, and for sticking with it and continuing to innovate in the space. How should, you know, again, there's a lot of people that that step into cryptocurrency and blockchain and web three and they're just overloaded. I mean, instantly they can't, they can't conceptualize. Um, they, they have existing businesses, they have existing investments. How, how do you uh, help educate people on, on the way to think of cryptocurrencies um, at, as an investable product? Well, I think as an investor, I, I want to tell everyone that um, there's two ways to look at it. Um, There is the uh, diversification approach. Uh, As investors with established portfolios, you always want to have a little bit of exposure to new technologies, new industries, so that if something um, passes you by and you miss it, at least you get something out of it from that uh, small exposure. So from a diversification perspective, it's always good to have a little bit of alternative assets, whether it be precious metals or, you know, because you have your uh, own 
uh, companies' assets that, uh, you know, as an owner, the, the, you know, the, the stocks, the bonds, whatever was issued and your share of it. And that's highly correlated to your day-to-day business. Um, if you think about the worst case scenario, your day-to-day business goes, um, now that portion of the portfolio may be worth a lot less than what it was. So how do you diversify? I found personally that diversifying into alternative assets, at least um, investments that I understand, because I always said it, I'm going to repeat it here. I only invest in things I can use or uh, that I understand. I don't go and try to uh, invest in technologies or or industries that I have no knowledge about, because that's a very, very high risk investment. I'm not uh, cut for that kind of investment. But um, I think getting some exposure to uh, top five crypto assets right now would be very wise with a small percentage of the portfolio. One, two percent if you're feeling really frisky up to five, but I would cap it at that level because, you know, look at that as as just um, a moonshot. It may happen. It may not happen. The other uh thought that I always have is if you already have a a significant presence in an industry and you're a major player and you have deep investments, uh, generational investments in, in a specific segment, it's always nice to have an insurance policy. So I look at blockchain investments and crypto projects and things like that as an insurance policy, not as an investment. So, you know, you own several billion dollars worth of pipelines, oil pipelines, you're in oil and gas, you're doing fine. Now, why should you invest in blockchain? As an investment thesis, you can make different cases for diversification or exposure, but look at it as an insurance policy where if a blockchain company disrupts your business and you're not aware of it, it's going to have very expensive consequences for you. And this goes for advertising, this goes for entertainment, this goes for any industry. You know, there are uh, several uh, businesses and families and and institutional players that have such deep roots in certain um, segments of industries that if they get disrupted, the cost is so high that the same way you pay, you know, on your $2 billion pipeline, you pay $25, $30 million a year on an insurance policy. And you don't say that's an investment. You say, hey, that's insurance. If my pipeline gets disrupted, they're going to pay me and they're going to fix it. The same way, look at blockchain and crypto as an insurance policy against future disruption and invest in companies and projects that are tangential or are potentially influential in your core business, but not as, oh, I need to get you know this return on it, as this is my insurance policy. If these businesses go bankrupt, Great. I'm still successful because I'm the incumbent. I'm the, you know, major player. If they're successful and they disrupt me, now I own a good stake in the disruptor and I can bring them into my ecosystem. And I think if you think either one of those, it becomes, uh, you know, unavoidable. You want to have some exposure uh, within, of course, the restraints and the structure of your portfolio and businesses. I, I love that. And I want to tie on a, a, something else to what you said for our listeners that, you know, again, just got some really amazing advice um, is 
if you run a, a company, whether it's local, national, global, whatever the case is, uh, if you do not have um, exchange accounts and bank accounts set up that allow you to move into cryptocurrencies, um, you don't need to own any. But I can tell you right now, it takes months and months and months uh, to be able to set up those pipes and and have it. And and whether you believe that that Swift is going to be around forever, or the, you do have any kind of uncertainty about a global financial um, disruption, um, build the pipes. You know, this is a great exercise for for your accounting departments and teams um, to go ahead and open those accounts. You don't have to move any money back and forth, but you can practice. You can try with a couple dollars here and there. Um, but I can tell you, I have you know helped. Uh, mega billion dollar companies at least set up multiple accounts on multiple exchanges uh, tied to their bank accounts. And it took anywhere from four to 12 months to make that happen. Um, and so today, if you're listening to this and you want to get anything out of it, um, I think that that Brad has given an entirely uh, really good perspective for businesses, business owners, and entrepreneurs um, to take a look at, at places like Equibank and Equify for what they can offer to basically help with that transition and help with creating that pipeline. Because there may be a day, and, and listen, we just we saw it happen in Canada, we saw it happen in Russia, we see it happen all around the world where there can be a freeze on your bank account. Um, and, and that's one thing if you're, hey, you may be delinquent on, on some credit card bills or everything else while they're figuring things out, but it's an entirely different pro- different uh, aspect if, if your employees can't get paid uh, and a variety of others around the world just because you're having a a local or regional conflict. Um, Never good, but in the same sense, this is the time to really look and explore without exactly as you said, just just dip a toe in and start to understand what this is. That's great, great advice, Jake, because uh, better to be prepared than set up with all the tools and, uh, um, and, and access you need and not use it. I mean, there are very few uh, platforms that would just close your account because you had no activity. They love that user count. They're going to, once you're set up, they're going to keep you forever. But, uh, you know, it takes time and a lot of people don't don't realize that. So I, I really love that point. No, that's great. Love it. Love it. Uh, Brad, where can people find you uh, or learn more about, uh, about your various projects and, and everything you guys are working on? Um, so, um, Equify.com. EQIFI.com is our main website. Um, all our socials are there. Uh, they can reach me at brad at equify.com. I check my email um, almost religiously. So email, uh, although a, a bit uh, old school, is still uh, the, the best way to get a hold of me because the social media messages and text messages, they scroll and they disappear. And after a few days, it's really hard to reference who texted you what and especially if it's a new relationship. Whereas an email is always there. I can search for it. Uh, it can be bumped up. So um, I'd say those are the two. And if people are excited about uh, other stuff or want to talk about something other than Equify, they can just uh, Google me and see everything else that's out there. Fabulous. Why Wales, this is Brad with uh, Equify, Equibank, and a and hundred plus other projects that he's behind. Uh, we're looking forward to having you on Fireside, sir. And and uh, again, for all you Why Wales out there, uh, I hope this FTX thing uh, turns around pretty quick because I don't like this $17,000 Bitcoin. I, if I'm a purchaser, yes, but I wasn't buying today. So uh, let's make it happen. Why Wales, see you next time. Why Wales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology. 
an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.